Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Biology Report. Again, a couple of fine guests, uh, men who represent Australia in white ball cricket, did a great job, state legends, and now they've just eased into coaching at IPL level and BBL level. The first man is a Queenslander, 84 one days for Australia, 12 T20 games. James Hopes, thanks for joining us, big fella. Thank you, Flem. Thanks for having me. It breaks up yeah. the day nicely. <laughs> I know you're busy in quarantine, so thanks for finding time. Um, the next gentleman, Hope, so you played a lot with in one-day cricket and against at state cricket. I'll, I'll let his brother's book do his introduction, okay? <laughs> in fact, Dave was never out. If he nicked one to the keeper, he wouldn't walk. Even if he was clean bowled, he refused to hand over that bat. It was then when the fights began. That was spectacular. I would chase Dave, Dave around the backyard, trying to give him a clip behind the ear because he was out and he wouldn't hand over the bat. Mum would be screaming. Dad would be shaking his head. It was all happening. Dave would chicken out and lock himself in the car and refuse to come out. That's how many of our games ended up. Him in tears, me in tears, and Dave certainly has some questions to answer about the dodgy tactics back then. David Hussey, welcome to the Biology Report. Thank you very much for that introduction, Flynn, and bringing back poor memories. Appreciate yeah. it. So, so this, this is Mike Hussey, your brother's book. He's asked, he certainly has some questions. Have you ever answered these questions? No, and nor have I ever read the book, but I might read. I'm in, currently in hotel quarantine and I'm struggling to sleep, so it might put me to sleep, I reckon. It could, driven to secede by Mr. Cricket, but certainly that's, uh, you'd think he'd be a better bowler if he was bowling to you all the time as kids. <laughs> Is that a fair we course? had a lot, of, a lot of backyard battles, Flem. Uh, unfortunately, Mike was far too good. Uh, my bowling was terrible, as it was uh, would have progressed to the, to the senior level. So, <laughs> unfortunately, my batting wasn't much better back in the day either. So, rather than uh, con- con- continue to bowl to him for, for hours, I ended up... Uh, just storming off, which is a bit soft, really. Hope, see, what was your backyard cricket like? So very similar to to Dave's. Um, yeah, I had a I had a neighbour and my brother. We we played the whole '92 World Cup in the backyard, <laughs> going through the whole, going through every game, and um, it took it took a good twelve months, but we but we polished it off. We kept scorecards and everything. I don't know how well I was then. I was 10, 11. but we played the well, we played the whole World Cup. Yeah. Who, who and who won that? I know Pakistan won it at the G. Who won it uh, at the Hoaxes? I think it was the West Indies. I think we, we all liked Brian Lara. So um, whenever the West Indies played, like he tended to score some runs. So that was nice. 
And mate, who were you if you're playing for Australia? Who who was your idol? Who were you in the backyard then? Oh no, we were everyone, mate. We had to we had to try and do whatever they did. So if we were Merv, we had to we had to come in on a big angle run up. Um, if we were Craig McDermott, we were led bowl as fast as we want. If we were Wazzy Macram, we had to bowl from around the wicket and try swing it in. We had to try to do everything like they did on TV. But um, yeah, it was a bit. It went a little bit too far, but it was good fun. Oh, that, good fun. That is then. that is awesome. <laughs> What about the Hussey brothers? Were you ever individual players? Uh, yep. I like Malcolm Marshall. Uh, he was one of my favourites. Uh, my brother loved Alan Border, so he was always Alan Border, and I was Malcolm Marshall, which allowed me to uh, bowl over the line by a normal person bowling at practice in the nets during the week. Um, but then this is how strange I am. I actually liked uh, – remember in the 92 World Cup where Deepak Patel opened the bowling for New Zealand? Yeah. So I wanted to be him because he was quite a nice, correct batsman, but also he opened the bowling. So I wanted to be him. So a bit, bit strange, but, yeah, I really liked six-pack Patel. I reckon you're a bit more dynamic. Oh, a lot more with the bat. But you actually did mimic his bowling at international level. I never thought about that. I bowled utter junk, uh, Damien, so I don't really like reliving my bowling. Smoke and mirrors, smoke and mirrors. That's all it was. <laughs> your, stats, your stats don't lie, D-Hus. They're actually pretty good. You used to sneak that little over in for the stars too, didn't you? Well, I had this plan, this theory that people aren't that smart. So if they're fatigued, I could always like sneak under their guard by bowling a quick quick over or two. Then they're not thinking about what's coming down and therefore they can't execute their plan. But um, certainly it worked a little bit, but not, not all the time. Generally uh, fell on the wrong side of the equation there. By that much. It's almost like, as I said, with your career, it's like a pretty similar amount of games for, for Australia and dominant first-class players. Was it always natural, firstly, do you hope, see that you're going to progress in the coaching? Uh, I didn't think about it probably until um, Darren Lehman got the Australian job and he and he called me from, I think he, he was on the Australia A tour in the UK when he got given the Australian job for the Ashes tour. And he called me and asked whether I was prepared to retire then and go into and take over the Queensland team. And I was only 33, 34. And I was like, no, mate, no, I'm not ready to stop playing just yet. So <laughs> that's probably when I started to think about it. And then uh, yeah, then, then the progression became pretty natural. Yeah. What about you, D Huss? Just settled in there at Kookaburra? Yeah, um, always wanted to be a coach, probably about 34, 35. Um, I really enjoyed I probably wasn't quite good enough to play international cricket, so I wanted to try and fast-track some of these young kids who are probably more talented than me to, to realise their dreams of playing international cricket for Australia. So that was probably the motivation and, uh, yeah, lucky to fall on my feet and work under some uh, really good uh, coaches and mentors, I guess. Geez, you've led into that beautifully, Huss. So one of the reasons I got you on was your roles at the IPL. To talk about that, you're, you're under some uh, iconic head coaches, but also the conditions that the T20 World Cup's getting played in are obviously where the IPL was mimicked. But, but Hopesy, what about um, yeah, experiences there at, at Delhi? You're, you're under R. Ponting. How have you found the environment that he creates? Uh, he, he creates, I, I think I've said this a few times, I think he creates um, the best environment for a team that I've seen as a player or a coach now. he um, And that's no disrespect to coaches I work under or coaches I played under. He's just exceptional at what he does. Um, And and you sort of wish he could um, be a bit more involved in the Australian team than what he is. But I understand he um, he's 
he values time with his kids and that. So I think like his coaching at the moment is just going to revolve around the IPL, and he's um he's exceptional in what he does, mate. It's, it's a lot of fun working with him in Delhi. He he can gel a change room very effectively. I'm, and I assume he's very similar to Baz in that regard. Well, yeah, I'm lucky enough to work under McCullum, uh, Kolkata. The first first year was really um, getting to know Brendan and getting to know uh, or build the relationships, and we just missed out in the finals. The second year, at the halfway mark, we were terrible. We were two wins from seven, um, and then the halfway mark hit and the uh, postponement happened, and then we came back up, and Brendan just freshened the place up. Uh, spent a lot of one-on-one time with each different player, um, and he got a lot of uh, hands-on work from the support staff uh, with Kyle Mills, our bowling coach, um, myself, Abhishek Naya, uh, Omki, uh, the other bowling coach. So we're very, very lucky. And James Foster, our fielding coach. So very, very lucky in that point of view. But similar to Ricky, uh, this creates a nice, easy-going, relaxed environment. Um, Brendan has his vision and explains the vision uh, beautifully and asks players to execute this vision. And uh, the second half of the tournament was really enjoyable to watch and be a part of. Sorry, mate. I think they're probably pretty similar, aren't they? They're, they give players a lot of self-belief. I think that's one of their um, big strong points is that they give players a lot of self-belief to do what to do what they can do on the field to the best of their ability. I think I think they're very good motivators of individuals, and and it shows in both teams' results. I think in the last in the last IPL. Do you find it in T Twenty cricket under a good coaching structure? It's it's easier. Um, I know as a player myself, I loved having my role defined and I could train for that specific role. Do the top T20 coaches and teams um, really focus on that? Well, from a batting point of view, if you're opening the batting, you, your role is pretty much generally defined anyway because you're going out to bat, you target your bowler, you want to hit, you hit the areas of your strengths. Where it changes is the middle order players. Like They might come in at three for ten, and might have to resurrect the innings, or they might come in at uh, one for 150 off uh, off 10, and just go hell for leather. So you do adapt for that point of view. Uh, from that point of view, but as Hopesy rightly said before, the best thing about the two, uh, Ricky and um, Brendan, he creates they create the environment where you are bulletproof. You're the most important player in that dressing room, and you have absolute freedom to go out there and express the way you want to play. You've done all the work going going around. Go, go for it. Go smack it out of the stadium. Um, if you try to hit six sixes in a row and you get out, that's okay. Um, we're always trying to run towards the uh, the contest rather than run away from it. Hope. See, what about from a bowling perspective? We used to joke, Victoria and Australia, really, that ninety percent of our bowling plan to each batter was yeah, he's a bit of a nicker nicker early on, um, off stump, just outside, uh, and if he gets settled, the odd bouncer. Please tell me it's just gone a little bit more versatile than that. I'm going to be honest, mate. The top of off is still top of off is still the hardest ball to hit. Um, the, the thing you find interesting about the IPL, or what I found interesting about the IPL, is we got Nokia and Rabada on our team, and we use them the complete opposite to the way South Africa is using them at the moment in the World Cup, and we used them to great effect. And that's one of the challenges of the IPL as well. You get these guys coming in who are world class performers, and you're and you're asking them to do things sometimes that they don't do and that's a challenge for them and um, that, that's where it comes down to your head coaches and your support staff to create an environment that they believe they can do that in but um, I found it quite funny that what we did the whole way through the IPL pretty much was you use those two in a certain role and then I'm watching South Africa play in this World Cup and they're being used in complete opposite roles so yep. that's been so quite can funny. So can you just clarify that? So we give Norky the first, the first over because he bowls 150 kilometres there and swings them 
and we use Rabada in the middle overs a little bit more. But watching South Africa play, they're giving Rabada the new ball and using Nokia at the back end of the power play <laughs> and in the middle overs. And they're both working. It just shows the probably their skill sets and um and like how good they are. And I think South Africa with those two bowlers might might be a sneaky show in this World Cup. What about the conditions in the we'll go into the T twenty World Cup, but you know, the conditions they're playing in the areas where the IPL was played. So so how do you think it's gonna play out with spin starting to dominate or in some venues um the quicks are still gonna play a big part? I still believe the quicks are going to play a huge part in uh, the World Cup. You play at three venues, Abu Dhabi, uh, Sharjah and Dubai. Um, I, I do believe that Jew might play a bit of a, a role in the back half of the tournament. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite difficult for the spinners to grip the ball, but also for the quickies to execute their, um, their, their stock ball and Yorkers, I guess. Um, the pitches in the IPL at Abu Dhabi, they were pretty good. They were a little bit slow, a little bit uh, low, but they generally were quite batsman-friendly. Um, you generally get about 160, 170 pass score and you generally hold on to defend that. Sharjah was the, the, the interesting one. Um, Kolkata played Delhi there twice, once in a qualifying game and once in a semi in a prelim final. And I think the scores were 130 and 135 or something. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hopesy. And the no, two, were, yeah. it turned, but we were fortunate in the prelim final. There was lots of dew around, which made the pitch probably a little bit easier to bat on in the second part of the uh, that game there. But... It's always a difficult place to play, Sharjah. You, you never know really what kind of pitch you're going to get. Um, the Jew does play, play a big part, but also there's small boundaries. So you can have three very, very good overs and then get hit for 25 off the next over and you're sort of back in the contest. Um, whereas Dubai, Dubai is just a, a great cricket stadium. It's generally a pretty good uh, cricket pitch. Um, Jew does play a part, but it's generally just uh, an outstanding uh, stadium. And whoever makes the final is going to have to utilise the conditions to the best of their ability. So for Australia's chances, Hopesy, that if if they can keep this momentum, that's not a bad place to play the final. Yeah, it's a great it's a great place for them. I think I think where I think where Australia might the, the little chink in Australia in, in Australia's armour is is our fifth bowler option at the moment. I think I think last night our fifth bowler went went for fifty one when they got one hundred and fifty. So um, I think as like Huss said, when we get onto the better pitches in Dubai and I don't think we play another game in Abu Dhabi, but um, when we get into Dubai, our fifth bowler, they they whether we should change our team up slightly to get a fifth specialist bowler in there um is something that they'll have to think about. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Like yeah, Agar, Swepson are the two spinners. Stoinis has batted really well, getting us home. Maxi bowled beautifully in the first game, didn't he? Yeah, opening up, you know, that could work against the West Indies, but he got taken down in his one over overnight. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You, you, do you play the extra bowler and then you rob Peter with the batting to pay Paul with the bowling or do you rob Paul to pay Peter with the bat and the ball? So um, I really like having Steve Smith in the middle order. He's a great player of spin and he can control the tempo. So the bats with the, the opening batter who's flying or can control Stornis at the back end with weight as well. So it's going to be rather difficult to get the extra spin bowler in. Um, but if you do, I, I don't think you're going to go wrong with uh, Agar or, or Shrepson. Tripson's done really well in the BBL, um, especially against the Stars, mind you. So, um, But, yeah, they're both good fielders and, um, yeah, they, they both compete. I tend to agree with Hopesy that you probably will have to get a spin in there at some stage, but I'm not sure for who. It's going to be quite a difficult selection. Yeah, it's always what you spend a lot of time talking about, isn't it, that, that when you pick T20 teams, you normally have nine guys you pick and then you spend all your time talking about guys that bat six, seven, eight. 
yeah. most frustrating part of the T20 teams, yeah. Yeah, in any form of T20 cricket, you know, and I think that's the chance for cricketers to find a real niche for himself in that five to seven, be able to bang them. Because um, I think we got in trouble in the past too a little bit picking the top scorers in the big bash and then they have to bat in the middle order. A bit like what you were saying with yeah. South African bowlers. Like, So it's a big adjustment. You've made your name opening all three. Uh, hey, just to clarify a analogy you used there, Huss, the robbing Peter. So is Peter the batter and Paul the bowler? <laughs> I don't think it really matters, Glenn. I reckon but... you mix. Yeah, I just just need you to. I'll clarify that a bit later. <laughs> uh, so who's winning the T Twenty World Cup? Who's what's the final? You go, Hoaxy. <laughs> I'm going to say. I'm going to say. I'll give you the final four: Pakistan, yes. Australia. Pakistan, Australia, India, England. Is that possible? Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I tend to agree, yeah. and I think think the final will be either Australia um, and Pakistan or England and Pakistan. Yeah. See, I, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, like perception with India coming out of their own IPL, um, you just think they're the best prepared team, but there's also that pressure. Yep, at big absolutely. tournaments, and it just goes so quickly. And certainly England, even with no Archer or Stokes, geez, they've, they've got power and bowlers that can defend, as long as they score big enough to defend that. But let's hope the Aussies go all the way here. Come on, Aussie, come on. What about the Big Bash boys? I want to rewind, you know, because you guys are there the initial, and do you feel like it's a bit of a myth you know, how big it become um, once we, we we went to city-based because in those last couple of years you were playing state-based. I, I remember crowds, there was a game at the MCG against Tassie, Victoria, that was nearly 50,000. The Gabba was always consistently around that 20,000 mark. Um, can you recall when you realised that moment that this is starting to build and, and become something big? I love playing state v state uh, BBL, um, yeah, T20 cricket. It was awesome. Wherever you went around, generally there were good crowds. The cricket played was phenomenal. Um, you had three very good fast bowlers, you had two very good spinners, and the batting was just second to none. So wherever you went around Australia, it was tough cricket played, whether you're playing in Bell Reeve, Adelaide, Gabba, Wacker, wherever. Uh, it was always really good play. Um, two of the games that I remember distinctly are. The Tasdy game that you're talking about where Brad Hodge just played out of his skin, I think we were chasing about 170. I was thinking it's a difficult pitch. They got Ryan and Aviv bowling. Uh, this is going to be quite a tough chase. And then I think Hodge got about 80 off of that 35 balls and we got him in the 16th over. It was just incredible. The the atmosphere emanating from that, or the, the, um, the loudness or the uh, volume coming out of that crowd was just phenomenal and it's just something I'll never forget. But then New South Wales v Victoria at the MCG where Dave Warner got, I think, about 90 off about 60 balls and ended up uh, getting about 180 uh, at the MCG. And we ended up chasing him down with Dwayne Bravo hitting, I think, it was about 40 off about 15 balls. Yeah. The noise emanating out of that stadium that night when we won in the last over, I think two balls to spare, was just incredible and um you actually look back on some of those highlights and you see some of the players sitting on the sideline like uh, Finch was next in the bat, um, who's now probably one of the, the best T20 players Australia's ever produced. So yeah, it was really enjoyable to play in those uh, T20 state v state fixtures. I see, what were your memories before it became city-based? I got, I just 
going back to we played New South Wales at the Gabba. I'm not sure when it was. It was Graham Dixon was CEO, and um, I was opening the batting with Craig Phillipson against Nathan Bracken. And you know, you, you guys will remember state games at the Gabba. They only used to open half the ground. Yeah, yeah. And um, we got told when we were waiting to go at the bat that there's just been a little bit of a delay, and we're like, okay. And that was a gimmicky thing that night. Someone from the crowd bowled the first ball. <laughs> <laughs> so they gave him a ball. If you're, if you're listening, ball. make sure you message it. We'll get you on. But, yeah, keep going. And Craig Phillipson said, I don't know what to do, but he was going to face. And I think Brad Brad Haddon was keeping it. He said, you've got to try hitting six. And he just launched this thing like 20 rows back over the side <laughs> screen. And, and, and it was this guy. It, the guy was so happy, the guy that bowled the first ball. He was pumped. But then when we looked up in the stands, people were streaming around all the parts of the stands that weren't open. So what had happened is that, that um, all these people had just been game day walk-ups to come watch the game, and Graham Dixon just ended up throwing the gates open to the Gabba. Fantastic. And the place just filled up in about 20 minutes. 2005, He's passed now, Graham, isn't he? But I remember him yeah. saying he was physically got the keys and was unlocking gates. Yeah, yeah. Like it was yeah. that. <laughs> so then... That was that was when I thought, oh, we, yeah, this T Twenty gimmick, as we used to call it back then, um, was um is going to be is going to be quite big. And I think just going to city base was just the natural progression after what happened the first year of the IPL, which was um, which was Dave was there. Uh, it was it was bigger than anything I've seen. Back to that Tasmanian game, it was forty five, forty six thousand. The, the thing I noticed commentating walking around was the crowd, though. Like the bars were, there was families there, and the bars were filled. But it was the quota was fifty fifty, you know, males and females. And it was, I think, it was a Friday. It was almost like the young crowd had come in to have a drink in the um, um, Smith Bar, and then they were they were going to go out. What about all the way to now, boys? You're you're in coaching roles. How have you found it adjusting player into the intensity of, in particular, T Twenty cricket, and and how much control? Can you actually control and how much are you got to let go to the players on the field? Well, firstly, um, it's changed from that gimmicky T20 cricket when we played. Like, remember Andrew Johns playing for New South Wales? Um, we tried he to get Jonathan. He hasn't retired either, so if you guys have got a spot. <laughs> we tried to get Jonathan Brown to play for the Stars. Uh, sorry, for, for Victoria one year. Um, it didn't pan out. The first year for the Melbourne Stars, I think Andy Lee was, uh, he was hunting around for a game as well. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's still a little bit gimmicky, but then uh, transferring from a player to to in the coaching staff, you don't realise how much work goes into preparing all players individually and as a group as well. Like speaking from a batting point of view, you have these strike rate uh, and wagon wheels and who you're, you're better against, who you're worse against, what do you need to improve on, where you think the opposition bowler is going to bowl to you, and you're going to sort of try and uh, make this information or um, solidify all this information and make it really succinct so the player can understand in their own language and then, therefore, they're going out to bat with not too much in their mind. They're just free free and easy and then go out there and just have fun. And you don't realise until they go out to play that you can't control whatever they do. You just can't control. So you just sort of <laughs> hopefully it turns out well on the day. Hopefully, how do, you, how do you find it? Well, exactly. So I agree with us. Like when they, when they, when they walk out there, you realise you've got no control, but there's been many times, many times where you wish you were just hooked up to the bowler to say, like, like, what are you thinking? Like, yeah. I'm not sure why you've done that. Like, and um, But, yeah, like, Huss is right. Like, you go through so many pages of stuff to 
try break it down to four lines that you think might make a difference for the individual player, and that that's just for the team taking the field. Then we got the then we got the seven seven reserve players that'll travel with the squad, and then then you're trying to make sure they're ready to go at short notice and keep them engaged. And and we don't we don't we don't have the staffs in in the BBL that we have in the IPL when we got like ten coaches, so we we don't have that many that many people so um yeah it becomes very hectic and then you do all the work and then they walk out on the field and you start thinking did you tell them that did you tell them that did you tell them that but you just you you've just got to trust them you just got to trust them that these guys are there's some very experienced guys running around now and and um i know from the brisbane heat perspective someone like jimmy pearson used to be constantly talking to him about it now now you can just let let him go about his preparation he does a lot a lot of it by himself he's 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 all over it by himself now. The last twelve months or so, so you can see the guys growing and becoming more more dependent on what they're doing. I like, Flem, I like Flem. I uh, in the we, we just played each other Delhi v Kolkata in the uh, prelim final of the IPL, and the game was done and dusted. We only needed seven runs to win off two overs. Game's over and done with. And all of a sudden, we kept losing wicket, wicket, wicket. And Shakib Alassane's gone out to bat, and he tried to play a sweep. And the analyst turned around to me and goes. Tell him to, to play straight. It's like, what do you want me to do? Like, he's <laughs> out batting. I'm the batting coach in the dugout. <laughs> Run out and tell a message. It's like, yeah, okay. It's just like that, is it? With gloves. Next, gloves, yeah. Next step will be like the NFL. They'll have helmets with microphones in their earpieces and be saying, play straight, play up the pitch, you know, and it's just, well, it's well, You're probably something. too young to remember it, but um, Bobby Woolmer and Hansi Cronje, did that in the 1999 World Cup, which, which, which got banned. You, can't, you, you just can't get to that, can you? Like, I, I like what you said, Hopes, and that, uh, that must be the art of coaching as well, being able to let go and, and to realise when a player, when Jimmy Pearson, who's taken into shield cricket now too, isn't he, but needs less of that, but then there's always going to be players that are going to need a bit more hands-on coaching. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. I don't, just going back to something Huss just said, I don't know whether you watched our game versus Chennai, which was the qualifying final. Is that what it's called? The qualifying final? Or the, yep. I don't know. What it's and we get down the, to the last over and Chennai need 13 to win. We got Tom Curran's bowled three overs, two for 16. And Rabada's bowled three overs. And Don, Doni's on strike. And I turned around a punter and said, I think he's going to bowl Tom Curran, which is the most, like, no, no disrespect to Tom Curran, but it's a stupid decision. Yeah. And um, I, said, I said to Rick, we've got to stop the game. So we can't stop the game. <laughs> and then and then Tom Curran bowled, bowled at not Rabada and we lost it in four balls and it's like oh god, oh god. And you know and you know what the owners say, don't you, Huss? Why didn't you stop the game? <laughs> yeah. And so so that but that's interesting. Still, that is purely the captain's decision. We are with the other leaders on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think because we were because he was out there and the emotion of it. He just went with the hot hand, which was Tom Curran. But everything pointed towards you just bowl Rabada to Donny. But he just, yeah. it, it was just an impulse decision, which you can see how a captain makes that on the field in that situation. But when you're removed and you don't have the emotional aspect sitting on the sideline, you know it's the wrong decision. And that's that's a real hard part of coaching. I think Hustle agree with that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I want to talk about you guys as opponents. Victoria versus Queensland. The hope, see, I think you won. Did you win four Sheffield Shields? I, I'm just going to sound bad. I don't uh, won. 
uh, two, two, three. I don't know. I played in a lot well, of finals. It seemed like you were in it every year, Queensland, and Victoria for a while was the same. How many did you win, Huck? I was part of four winning shields, Flynn, oh. so very, very lucky. I said he was very lucky that one at Junction Oval. Bucky got 100. Bucky was dead LBW, second ball of the day. And Pistol must have been sleeping. I don't know what was going on. I'm, um, I'm still is, angry is that, about that. It was only 13 years ago. Is that a joke? Of course Pistol was sleeping. That's what he did. <laughs> I, I don't know what he was looking at. Can we go back what... even further, though, Hopesy? This is all about Huss. The Shield final in 0304. Um Victoria, 710. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest. Queensland, we, we 275. That's right. So do you remember the chat about that? Um, uh, I really remember. I can so I will tell a story. I, re, I was sitting in the change room. It was Optus that used to do the, used to do the, tele, used to televise yeah, the games? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Was it your and first we watching, final? That was my was my first shield shield final. I've never seen a flatter wicket the day before a game. Like it looks so flat, and we we won the toss. And you see Jimmy, the sound was down. You see Jimmy Ma talking to whoever was doing the toss, and we we were like, yes, we're batting first. And then word came down that we were bowling first, and I was sitting across the room, Andy Bickle, and his <laughs> shoes and flying across the change room. That's all I remember. And then I do remember still bowling three days later. And all I remember, Flynn, from that is we saw the commentator go to uh, to Jimmy Ma first. You know, our uh, collective souls just dropped to the floor, thinking, "Ah, oh, we're we're in the field here, right? How do we get all these wickets out?" Blah blah. And then all of a sudden, you see Chuck uh, Darren Berry doing this to us with you little Anzac, we're cheering, and then we proceeded to watch Matthew Elliott and Jason Arnberger put on. I think they put on about two hundred and twenty-two thirty for the first wicket. It was a lot. I think you were one down at the end of the first. Round. You one down. Oh, <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you have to bowl them out, don't you, Hopesy? So, do you remember what it was like? As it just kept kept going and going, it was a bit it was a bit deflating, mate. To be honest, like <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the greatest. Like Jimmy Ma gave us the greatest. I think it was late day four. We we needed five hundred and I don't know what you guys set us because you five hundred and fifty to win. I reckon. And he gave us this motivational speech that I love, Jimmy. It was so it was like it was an impassioned plea to go out there and this you just never know. And he proceeded to go out there and nick the first one and we were one for none. <laughs> we were like, good start, boys. Um, yeah, but that was a that was a that was a good introduction to Shield Finals. I think they were building was there only half a stadium then too? Yeah. Only half a stadium. All I remember from that, Flem, is and, and hopes is that we batted first and I was watching Elliot, Arnberger, Hodge, Moss put on all these massive runs. And my parents flew over from Perth, my parents flew over from Perth to see me play. And I was that tired, just waiting to go out to bat. Finally get an opportunity to go out to bat, nick off the I think it was under ten or whatever, and then watched everybody below me get 50, <laughs> 60, 70. And I was just selfishly <laughs> praying that one of the tailenders just got lower than me, so I wasn't the lowest scorer in the team. So then I think Nick Lewis was just maybe a run short than me then in the scoreboard. But geez, I was so thankful that he, that he got nicked off uh, just under my, my first inning score. But what a game! It was five days of absolute. Well, first day was like rather nerve wracking, but 
Yeah. Day two, three, four, and five was just uh, a pleasure to be a part of. It was so relaxed, so easy, and uh, we just knew we were going to win because we had Elliot and Hodge batting with and Mick Lewis with the ball. Huss, you got 16, Mickey Lewis 11. So you would have been nervous. Uh, and it's <laughs> probably a bit like an AFL grand final when your team knows you're winning at half time, isn't it? <laughs> so, Hopesy, what about two years later? You've got the home final, 05, 06. You're playing the VIX. What's it? You know, what's the talk going into that? Is it is it payback time or is it just purely let, let's win the game? The talk going into it was actually a little bit more about the year before. We'd been beaten by New South Wales at home in the Shield final. And that, then, was, um, a beauty, yeah, and that, then, that was an unbelievable final, wasn't it? Look, yeah. yeah. That was an unbelievable final. It was a – yeah, that was an unbelievable final. Um, but the Victorian game, we once we lost the toss there too. That was, that was a beautiful wicket as well. Yeah, but um, the talk talk go, going into it was that we that we just get ourselves in a position, battle bowl first, that we bat once. So so we were it, it was on our mind to go big if we batted, yeah. So um, we lost the toss and we we're bowling, and I know Victoria might have been two for two hundred. Yep, two for two hundred and thirty-eight, going well. And hustle reckon I, I'm gonna. Did you get not out in the first innings? Yeah, I did. Yeah. You did, and you batted late on that first day. Where for some reason we kept playing, and it was dark, dark. Yeah. And you all, and everyone just got out. Well, Hodge got a hundred and started celebrating yeah. with, by doing push-ups, and he pretty much did a whole lap of the uh, the gabba. <laughs> um, and we're all like thinking, "Come on, calm down." And then it started raining. It was like uh, the lights came on, and Andy Bickle and uh, I think you got a few yeah. wickets to folks here at the time. Just oh, come and just we nicked off everything, and somehow I survived. I'm not sure how. And then the next day, the early morning gabba started a little bit early. We sort of got nicked off. But I rewind to the night before the uh, uh, we had a team meeting and we're all excited and all nervous. And Greg Shippard gave us a big motivational prep, prep up uh, how to win away from home, Queensland. They don't like playing from behind, blah, blah, blah. And I said, can I interrupt you there, Greg? Mate, they don't like playing from behind. We need to win the toss and bat. We get 350. We'll be playing from in front. We'll bowl Queensland out for 250. We'll get 400 in the third innings and then we'll bowl them out again late on day five. We'll win. We'll be celebrating holding up the Pura Cup. That was the name back then. I was right with the 350 on the first innings, but when they scored 900 in the first innings, I was thinking, oh, dear. This might have been uh, the wrong decision at that first. But, yeah, it was a long, long game. They passed you one down. <laughs> and do you know how we got the wicket? No. We got run out. run out. <laughs> run out. <laughs> oh, you ran, you ran Lockie Stevens out. Yeah, we did. Yeah, John Moss was an building. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> I'll run through the scores, boys. Jimmy no, run through. Uh, got through them. 223. Um, Martin Love, what a beautiful player. 169. Watto, 201. And the underrated Clint Perrin, 173. So you had plenty of time to rest up to bowl in the second innings there, Hoaxie. Hey, Flem, can you keep going down that scorecard and tell me who batted six? It's Andy, Andy Bickle, Bickle ahead, ahead of you. Yeah. What, what, what was that? Okay. So I was sitting down. So when I bat six and when we're two out, I normally get my gear up to the viewing room, the Gabberon. And so we were two out. I don't know what stage we were two out. But I sat there, I reckon, watching Perrin and Watson bat, pat it up, and then I think that, that was the year. I reckon I did it for a day, 120 overs or something. I was watching him bat, just sitting there, padded up, watching. And then I reckon 
Terry Oliver was coach. He came in and said, mate, I think we're going to send Vic before you. And pardon my French, but like I've been sitting here for 120 overs waiting to bat and you come in now and say you're going to send Vic in front of me. And the reasoning was, was I think he'd had 50 wickets that year. Yep. And he was he needed 30 runs or something to get 500 runs. So he would have been the first person ever to get 50 wickets and 500 runs in a shield season. So I took my pads off. <laughs> Vic went out and got out. And then, then I went in at seven, and, and the first ball I'm facing is from Nick Jewell, and I'm going, oh, this is bad. <laughs> Nick, and then they took the fourth newie, and Dirk Natters bounced me out. I think I think that's what happened. Yeah. So just on Partially. that, Slim, just on that, we had a, a big focus of stopping Andy Bickle because it was all throughout the paper, getting 50 wickets and uh, t- making 500 runs. So our big focus was stopping Andy Bickle doing this. Unfortunately, it took today halfway through day three or day four to actually get to Andy before he batted. And then Dirk Nanos, who used to bowl swift, he uh, wasn't bowling as quick to the top order. But then as soon as Andy Bickle came out to bat, jeez, he let them fly and got him out straight away. And then I think he got hopes he had two about three or four balls later. <laughs> it was like, God, where was this day two, you know? Oh, it was just, it was just, it was hard to stay mentally up. But you get in, you look at the scoreboard. You're five for eight hundred and ninety, and you're like, "Oh, what's happening?" <laughs> yeah, you've you worked, you've walked out at basically um, five for one hundred and eighty-four. <laughs> 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 Who would have ever thought that? Just on the second, I remember hearing though, second innings, Vicks get two hundred, Johnson six for fifty. Hearing searing pace, and and not surprisingly, career. Boom! After that, do, do you recall Mitchell Johnson's bowling that, that in that last innings? It was well, fast. He was all yeah, it was yeah. fast, wasn't it? Oopsie, yeah, very fast. Yeah. All I remember is that second innings. Shippard gave us a big spill about being pride to play for the def- uh, for the draw. There's no, um, yeah, no, please play with courage. You know, play for pride. Draw means everything. Don't let them win. Blah blah blah. Jason Armberger, I think he got 10, 15, maybe 20 in the in the second innings. And Johnson came out and bowled the speed of light. And I was batting five at that stage. He gets nicked off. And with his pads on, he goes straight to the fridge, grabs a drink, and he goes, good luck out there, mate. Mitchell Johnson bowling the speed of light. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so I walk out to bat late on day, day four that day thinking, oh, no, I don't really want to face this guy. But, yeah, he just bowled thunderbolts. Oh, absolutely rockets, and he got six for oh, about 30, I think, in the end, and they bowled us out just before tea time, day four, day five. Was there, did you think that was the um, turning point for, for Mitchell? Uh, yeah, yeah. He He's always been there or thereabouts, hasn't he? I remember he made his debut um, against New Zealand, I reckon, in a tour match at the Gabba when he was a kid, and he was fast then too, and... um. I think just a story about him, which which I think is a great story. He um, that was definitely the turn, turning point in terms of him playing for Australia and going to do what he did. But when he was out with stress fractures, and he got delisted by by Queensland for some reason, um, he went back and played third grade for Norse and opened the batting and scored a mountain of runs in third grade for a season. So um. I think that says a little bit about him, and, and it also says a little bit about um about why his batting was ended up being pretty good because he took a lot of time when he was out injured to to work on his batting and make that effective. And I think, and to he, be honest, I think he was uh, delivering pizzas as well, Hopesy. 
He was, and he was working for a, for a plumbing supply company as well. I've got some good stories about Mitch. He backed into my car once in, in the car park. <laughs> and at, at, at Queensland cricket, there's been. I've got some good stories about Mitch. But for another oh, let time. give us one. Besides <laughs> that, that, that was a good one. He yeah, backed that's... into my car and and, and drove off. <laughs> <laughs> and I've gone out to the car park and gone, what the hell's happened to my car? Like, who drove into it? And he, and they said, oh, Mitch did it. I was like, well, where is he? And they said, oh, he's left. <laughs> So when you oh. confront him, what did he say? Because you don't want to face oh him in the nets. You, you want to do it in a pretty good way. Oh, I just called him and said, Mitch, did you hit my car? Oh, I didn't want to tell you. Well, I'm going to find out, mate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a great man, Mitch Johnson. He's a good yeah. guy. That's just a little bit of an obscure one. Do you know who you got out to in the second innings? Uh, yep, Dan oh. Duran. I got bold. The ball didn't Dan bounce. Bold. Absolutely rolled. But by that stage, my legs were bleeding. I was so tired from fielding 240-odd overs um, in the first innings. I remember when I was batting at the time, Clinton Perrin was fielding on the offside and he kept saying, this is payback from 203 uh, The team who laughs, laughs, laughs the loudest. And I couldn't stop chuckling as Duran's running into bold. <laughs> Clinton Perrin had this knack of making everybody laugh and, geez, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> Unfortunately, well... Unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not really sure this ball just rolled and hit the stumps because the other end, Mitch, he was bowling the speed of light and I probably didn't really fancy facing him either. So um, one of those things. But, yeah, Queensland had the last laugh and they laughed very loudly that night. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining the Bowlology Report. Good luck over the summer. It's been tough. COVID, you know, has made squads really hard. But good luck to, to the Brisbane Heat and the Melbourne Stars, boys. Thank you. And if I can finish just on another quote from the Bible, Mr. Cricket, driven to succeed, he says, the difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary is that little bit extra. (laughs) And I'll counter that with another quote of a former Australian player called Wayne Phillips, Flipper, and his motivational quote was, no pain, no pain. (laughs) Thanks, boys. Thanks, Flam. Thanks, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.